Unmasking Eve, unmasking Eve, un 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 This is Abby. This is Joey. And, and this, this is Unmasking Evil. Okay, Abby, what case are we covering today? So today we're going to be talking about one of Canada's most notorious unsolved cases. This is actually the story of Lindsay Buziak. So have you heard of this case before I mentioned it to you? Actually, I hadn't ever heard of it at all. And it's an older case. It's from 2008. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of surprised. Because I do listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, and including Crime Junkie from time to time. And so I was surprised I hadn't heard of this one. Yeah, I think I first heard of it about maybe a year, year and a half ago. I listened to the Crime Junkie episode over it. But after reviewing it, I found out a bunch of information that they actually left out of that episode of Crime Junkie. But you so I was, Yeah, I was like really surprised like how much they left out. So you did other research into it other than just crime junk yeah i listened to another podcast that's actually dedicated just to this case and then we uh also watched that youtube video earlier today over it and i did a little bit more research so are you ready yep all right so lindsey buziak was a 24 year old new and upcoming real estate agent in the city of victoria canada she was just starting out her career, but she was already gaining success and making a name for herself in one of Canada's most popular real estate markets where homes easily sold for over half a million dollars, which is a lot of money. <laughs> so she lived in a very popular part of Canada. I believe so, yes. Uh, she was raised in a big and loving family, and she had a lot of friends. All of her friends and family actually describe her as smart, caring, and super social, which is partially why she wanted to go into the real estate business because you have to be very social <laughs> to be in that industry. Yeah. You do that with a lot of people. Definitely not something I could have done. Yeah, I don't think I could <laughs> either, honestly. Uh, she had a boyfriend of about a year. His name is Jason. He is from a wealthy family. And from what I've gathered, I believe that his family also owned a real estate business. And his mother was actually a manager at the uh, business where Lindsay had worked. So now was she her manager? I'm not sure. Like the facts in this are like so all over the place, which we'll learn later on. There's just a lot of like one article will say this, one article will say that. Right. You know? So yeah. There's a bunch of that. So I do believe that this is the business that they owned and she managed it and that's where Lindsay worked. Okay. I think. Don't quote me on that. But uh this is how Lindsay and Jason actually met. Oh, so it's how they met. Yes, because Jason is a mortgage broker, but he has a real estate license for like a side hustle type thing. Okay. So they're all like in this business. Lindsay's dad is also in the industry. Okay. So she's working there with his mom. Yes. And then they meet through work, basically. Yes. Okay. So in the late January of 2008, Lindsay got a very exciting call. Uh, the woman on the other side was calling Lindsay seeking interest in buying a home in the area. She told Lindsay that her and her husband were relocating to Victoria from Vancouver for work and that they wanted something fairly close to downtown. 
um, and they wanted to move in right away. Um, They told her that they needed at least three bedrooms, three bathrooms, and a second living space for a live-in housekeeper. So they're looking to spend some money, like some serious money. (laughs) Yes, Um, because, you know, if you have a live-in housekeeper, you're pretty wealthy. But they had told Lindsay that they were willing to spend up to a million dollars for their home. Oh, yeah. So they were definitely looking to spend some money. For sure. Um, Okay. Yeah. This was going to be an opportunity that she was going to make some money, too. Definitely. Because if you know anything about real estate, it's that the agent earns off commission. Right. And so on a million dollar home, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Because I've bought and sold multiple homes throughout my adult life. Mm -hmm. And I know that our real estate agents made 3%. They did. Yeah. 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 So the higher the price tag would mean the more money going into Lindsay's pocket. Exactly. So this was the perfect opportunity for her, especially since she was still like an upcoming trying to make a name for herself. Well, and that's a lot of money for being 24 years old. Oh, yeah, for sure. So she 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 just couldn't she couldn't turn it down. She wanted to take it. But she had a like a gut feeling that there was just something wrong. You know how you just get a gut feeling. You're like, "Mm, this just might not be a good idea. (laughs) When I proposed to your mom. Died. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But she... (laughs) One of the reasons why she felt this way, though, is because she didn't understand how the woman uh, got her number because she had never gotten rid of phone calls like this. And this was actually on her personal cell. So she had a personal cell and a work phone number. And she got this on her personal. Yes. Okay. Which was odd because if she never gets random phone calls like this on her work phone, why is she getting one on her personal? So she actually asked the woman how she got a phone number. And she said that um, a a former client of Lindsay's had given it to her. And had referred her to them. Well, see, that that kind of makes sense. That's what I thought, too. That I could see that because I've made recommendations and given out phone numbers. Mm-hmm. But I've always typically given out the work number. See, yeah. See, so I was like, it kind of makes sense, but yeah, it's still a little weird. But yeah. another reason is because the woman did speak with a very unique accent that Lindsay could not recognize. She found this a little odd. So she decided to confide in her boyfriend, her father, and a couple of her friends about this. Uh, She told the woman that, so she told them that the woman sounded, quote, Spanish, but not really. So I'm assuming, I don't know, maybe she had some sort of accent that sounded Hispanic, but not quite on the dot. I don't know. I guess it's just hard to understand what that means without, you know, hearing what she sounded like. So is that kind of what made her feel iffy on it? Yeah, that's another reason why she she had a bad feeling. Um, so her dad had mentioned in several interviews for this case that Lindsay noted to him it sounded like the woman was putting on a fake accent, like she was trying to disguise her voice. Oh. Yeah, that's sketch. That is sketch. Very. So she's potentially faking an accent mm-hmm. to hide who she is. So that that's so that leads me to think this may be somebody who she knows. Maybe oh, potentially. Well, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So because of this, she decided to reach out to the client. The woman uh, said had referred her to Lindsay, but unfortunately, she was out of town and unreachable. And whenever I read about that, I was unsure what that meant unreachable because this is 2008 you would think most people would have a cell phone or a facebook account or something like that sort well and i wonder how far in she went to try to make contact did she just try to call because like you said 
most people in 2008 have cell phones. Mm -hmm. I would have been the oddball in that situation because I tried to keep from having a cell phone as long as possible. I'm sure I'm not the only person, but I mean, with her circle of friends, probably that age group, I'm sure that you know, they all would have had cell phones at that point. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And I tried to look into that a little bit more, but I couldn't find anything. Nobody goes into detail on like what this meant by unreachable. Right. There's another one of our little conflicting details on confusing information. But um, even though Lindsay had this gut feeling that something was wrong, she really wanted to go through with the client. And I definitely understand why going back to the commission acts aspect, because It was reported that she would have made about 3% commission, like you said. And on a million-dollar home, that's $30,000 in her pocket. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. For a 24-year-old. And some people from where we are, that's like a year's annual salary for some people. Yeah, it is. That's that's a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, that is a lot of money. Um, But her boyfriend, Jason, did agree with her that she should take it. So he told her to take the client, and if she felt too icky about the situation, he offered to go with her and just sit in the car while she was doing the showing. Um, So in an episode of Dateline, Jason expressed that he also had concerns about this call, and he said that it was, quote, too good to be true. He seems like a pretty decent boyfriend at this point. Yeah, it seems like he's, you know, letting Lindsay confide in him and express her concerns and and sharing his as well. Yes. And, and having concerns for her. Yeah, and willing to, you know, do anything to help her to feel better about the situation. But on an episode of Murder on the Island presented by Capital Daily, he said that he wasn't worried, nor did Lindsay seem worried about the situation. Well, so, that's conflicting. Yeah. So this is another one of our conflicting... Convic- con- conflicting? <laughs> yeah. So this is one of our other conflicting facts like this, one throughout the story. And this is actually partially why this case stood out to me so much, because I just don't understand, you know, like some things I understand how get mixed up as time goes on, you forget. But something like that, if I'm worried about my partner going somewhere and something seems weird, I feel like I would remember that. Yeah. And then they got and then they got killed. Yeah. You're going to know if you felt worried or mm-hmm. if you felt worried. And and to me, you're going to remember if you said that to somebody else previously yeah so that that was a little weird to me that is extremely weird to me so jason going with her seemed to put her mind a little bit more at ease because you see jason is a big guy he's six foot three and he weighs about 240 pounds so if he wanted to be intimidating he could yeah i could see that um before long, Lindsay had found a few properties that perfectly matched what her clients were looking for. And the one that the clients were most interested in was actually a brand new three-bedroom home in Saanich, which is actually just a suburb of Victoria. So on February 2nd, 2008, at 5.30 p.m. is when Lindsay and her clients planned to meet for the showing of the home. Okay. It was actually that upcoming Saturday. It was pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Which is unusual. Mm-mm. Not at all. No. So in an episode of Murder on the Island by Capital Daily again, Jason's mother, Shirley, states that she met with Lindsay. I I couldn't clarify if Jason was there as well, but Lindsay and her for sure, they went to dinner. And she stated that Lindsay had seemed a little bit overwhelmed with everything that she had to get done the next day. Um, 
because she also had this. But then before these plans were made, she had plans with a couple of her girlfriends to go down to Vancouver, like just for a little like girls weekend night, whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so she had to cancel those plans. Yeah, she had to cancel those plans to do this. So uh, Shirley had had actually told her that if she needed any help from her, Jason, or Jason's brother to let them know, and they can show the properties on our behalf because they actually all obtained a realtor's license. Uh, but Lindsay never seemed to reach out for help or felt like she needed to have them do this for her. So this conversation was actually the last conversation that Shirley had ever had with Lindsay. But she also noted that Lindsay never mentioned that she was afraid or having doubts about the actual showing. It was just that she was overwhelmed. Okay. Uh, she was overwhelmed by everything that she had going on. Yeah, she was just stressed out. According to an episode of Murder on the Island, again, one of Lindsay's colleagues says that on the day of the showings, Lindsay had stopped by the office and engaged in conversation with a group of realtors about her concerns. And he overheard this. And then after this, she actually talked to him about it a little bit. And him and a couple of their colleagues had also offered to be there for her to help her feel a little bit more comfortable. But she declined because she told them that Jason was going to go there with them or with her. So she's having a lot of people of, if you're uncomfortable, we'll show it for you. Yeah. We'll go with you. Yeah. And she just keeps turning people down. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. It is. It's very sad. Um, the same colleague, Cal, says that Lindsay said, quote, if Jason was not going to go with me, I would not go alone, end quote. And so to me, that sounds like she's she's really scared of something, that something bad might happen. She's got a gut feeling. Always trust your gut. <laughs> Always trust your gut. And if your gut's wrong, oh, well. But if it okay. wasn't and you did it. Yeah. There's no oh well in that situation. Exactly. You know? If you're wrong, so be it. But it's better safe than sorry. Yes. And what I don't understand is, I don't know, with that many people offering to go with her to show the house, why she didn't accept that? Well, because she was telling them that Jason was going to go. But we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. Okay. So on Saturday, February 2nd, 2008, after meeting with her colleagues, Lindsay and Jason, they actually decided to go grab um, a late lunch at a local restaurant at 3.30. And so Jason states that Lindsay was rushing to finish her meal because she actually needed to go back to their condo to get ready for the showings. And so he, he says that he kept continuing to offer to do the showings for her because she was nervous. But again, she just kept declining. But after lunch, Jason actually had an errand to run he needed to go to a nearby auto shop where the owners were actually clients of Jason and Lindsay. And so he went there to present them with an offer. And so Lindsay had called Jason whenever she was on her way to the showing. So he again is, hey, I'll show it for you. Mm -hmm. But my thing is, instead of just showing it for her, why doesn't he just show it with her? I think because he may have been, he didn't want to seem overprotective or overbearing. Okay. Like, let's say she shows up with her boyfriend, like this big dude. It might give off the vibe of like, is she afraid to be alone with us? Well, this is a little, because I've never heard of a realtor showing with somebody. Have you? No. I guess it could happen, but. I Yeah, it could happen. I don't know. No, I haven't. Not unless, like, the seller has one rel realtor and the buyer has another one. Yeah. That's happened. Mm -hmm. But not, no. Yeah. So. Good point. Yeah. So on her way 
So whenever Lindsay called Jason, she was actually calling to ask if he would meet her at the home, and he agreed. But then again, this conflicts with what we already learned just a couple minutes ago that they already planned on this. Right. Or maybe I'm taking this the wrong way. Maybe she was just confirming like, hey, I'm on my way. Can you be on your way too? Maybe. Right. I'm not sure. But um, so the lockbox to the home was opened at around 529 p.m., which would match up with the realtor getting ready for a 530 showing. And Jason also received a phone call from a friend who he had plans with later that night. They were going to go play hockey. And this friend met him at the auto shop, so they were together. So they were going to go to the house with Lindsay together. Okay. Um, about the same time Lindsay was arriving at the home, Jason was just now finishing his errand, and so he was about to head there as well. And whenever he's about to head her way, Jason calls Lindsay. Now, I say calls because Jason said that he called in an episode of um, Murder on the Island. And even in the YouTube video that we watched, the detective said text. Yes, and in that YouTube video, the detective said that he texted her saying that he was on his way. Yeah. But this says, Jason said that he called her to ask for directions because it was a fairly new subdivision and I guess it wasn't in the navigation yet. And so he couldn't put it in his app, like okay. in his truck, I okay. think. Um, so he, he says that this call was actually interrupted by the clients arriving and she was like, hey, like they're here, I gotta go. And so she hangs up. And then at 538, Jason sent her a text letting her know that he was just a couple minutes away. But she never answered or opened the text message. Right. Um, and I have to assume that he wasn't too worried at this point because she had just hung up saying like, hey, my clients are here, like, gotta go. Right. You know, so she's busy. And so I understand that. But at 545 is whenever Jason and his friend arrived at the home. So about 15 minutes later. Yes, yeah, so about 15 minutes into the showing was whenever it was supposed to start, at least whenever he got there. And he pulls into the driveway and at the front door, he saw two people. He saw a woman and a man. Um, and so I think he thought maybe that they were just now arriving. Like, oh, these are the clients because he saw them walking to the front door. Okay. And so, he, yeah, he's probably like, OK, so they just got here. I'm going to let her, you know, do her thing. I'll text her in a minute to see what's going on. Right. But if you remember, whenever she called him to be like. She hung up because they were just showing up. Yeah. Which was 15 minutes earlier. Yeah. That's. So, I mean. That would have threw up some red flags for me. Yes. And it did for me as well. Should have for him, I would have thought. Yeah. I think so too. But again, going back to the not wanting to be, you know, overprotective, overbearing. And she's a big girl. She can do it. She's 24. Yeah. She can handle herself. And he may have not realized how much time had passed between the time that he had talked to her and the time that he got there. Yeah. So him and his friend decided to wait in the car for a little bit. So about 10 minutes after waiting in the car, he decided to text her again to see if they were about wrapping up. But she didn't answer that message either. And she also didn't open it. So this is about the time where he starts to get a little worried. But again, didn't want to be overbearing, overprotective. She can do her own thing. So they decided to wait a little bit longer. And this was probably about 5.55, maybe. Yeah. So about 6.05, about 10 minutes later... He still hadn't seen the clients leave the house, and Lindsay still hasn't answered or even opened his text messages. So, to me, this doesn't seem strange because it's been 35 minutes since it was supposed to start. Right. It, it's a million-dollar home, three bedrooms, three bathrooms, an extra living area. It's a pretty decent-sized house, right? Yeah. I've never bought a home or went to a showing or anything, so I don't know if this is 
unusual, you know? I mean, and I know you have, so, like, is this weird? No, because I've always been one of those people that I'm going to check the house out really well, especially on the first showing. You know, I'm going through the house. I'm looking to see where can the direct TV lines come in if they're not already ran, or if they are ran, you know, what walls they come in on. Uh, to the lights working right? Are they making any sounds like they could be shortening out in the wall? Because I've mm-hmm. had situations where that's happened. Yeah. Now, I've remodeled homes a lot in my life and have experience with these type of things. Most people don't. So so they might not be like too worried about that. Yeah. He may not be seeing so, that. Some people, it could take 30 minutes, but I would think most people... 30 minutes or more. But you got to think, it was a brand new home, they said. Right. So they also may not be worried about that stuff since, you know. That's true. It's new. That's true. Yeah. So because of this, at this point, his worry just continued to grow and his gut was just telling him just to go check, make sure she's okay. And so him and his friend, they go to the front door and they knock and they don't hear anything. Nobody comes. So then they ring the doorbell. Nothing. And so by now, he's at the point where he doesn't care. If he's coming off as overprotective or anything like that. So he told his friend, he's like, I'm going in the house. Yeah. <laughs> Which I understand if, if you're not. You ring the doorbell, nothing. I'm going in that house too. Yeah. No matter what. Well, so he tried the door and it was locked. Right. Which is strange. Because if you're just doing like a little house showing, like, why are you locking the door? Exactly. Um, so this made his worry grow to the point where he calls 911 and asks for a welfare check. Because, you know, he can't break into the house with the police can. Right. Um, so, but while he's on the phone with police, his friend is actually over like on the side of the house, like checking stuff out. And so he calls for him to come over there because he sees the back patio doors open just a little bit, like just a few inches. And so Jason hangs up with the police and he decides to boost his friend over the fence. So the friend can go in through the patio door to go open the front door for Jason to go in. Yeah. And so as soon as the friend unlocked the front door for Jason, he bursts through the door with worry and he starts calling for Lindsay, but he hears absolutely nothing. Horrifying. Yeah. And they actually saw her shoes sitting right next to the front door, kind of where you would expect them to be. Because some people take their shoes off. And I would assume with a really nice home like this, they probably would do that. Yeah, I guess. I have never done this before. I haven't either. And I don't think I've ever been in anybody's house where they could do this (laughs) So your cousin takes his shoes off every time he comes over here. Who? Cody. Really? Yes. Huh. Yeah. I mean, some people do. Weird. It's weird to me. (laughs) Or maybe we're just slobs. (laughs) (laughs) So the friend actually goes, he's he's checking the downstairs area and Jason is going to go check the upstairs area. And he says that whenever he's about halfway up the stairs, you can actually see into the master bedroom and in the master bedroom, E finds Lindsay. She's laying on her back on the floor and blood was everywhere. And so he yelled for his friend to call 911 and he does. This is another conflicting fact. This says he called 911, but in the episode of Crime Junkie, they had stated that Jason was the one who called 911. Right. So I'm not sure who called 911, but 911 was called. Um, but Jason, he tried, he tried doing CPR, anything he could do to help her, but it was too late. She has probably bled out at this point. She's not breathing. She's not moving. 
So the police arrived just a few minutes after this because, if you remember, they had called for the welfare check. So they were already on their way. They were already on their way. Mm -hmm. So the first thing police actually do whenever they get upstairs is they put Jason in handcuffs. Which makes sense. He would have had blood all over him. Yeah, because he was doing CPR. Yeah. Um, And then it it stated that they actually handcuffed his friend as well. Not sure. Well, yeah, because, yeah, I guess. Still makes sense. But Lindsay was stabbed multiple times. There's no accurate reports on how many times. Some say 10 to 15, some say 40, some say over 40. Um, And to me and a lot of people, this is a very, 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 very big discrepancy because the more brutal the attack, I feel usually means like how how personal it was. Like, did this person know her? Did she do them wrong in some way? Right. It could be a crime of passion, uh-huh. overkill, um, wanting to send a message. But then, like you said, with the discrepancies, I can see why there's a discrepancy. You know, it's the details that only the killer would know, and the police want to keep that close to vest mm-hmm. for that reason. Yeah, and I understand that, too. But like you said, if she was stabbed 40 or more times, that is a lot of overkill. That's, uh, oh, yeah. Because it was reported insane. that she was stabbed in her face, chest, and neck. Which, to me... I- would kill you. I don't imagine how there wasn't blood everywhere. There was. Remember? Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, there was that, blood everywhere. Blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. But you would think that the killers would have had blood all over them, which would make understanding why you're right. they would uh, arrest Jason because he would have had blood all yes, over Yes, you're right. Because Jason, whenever he saw the people enter the home, he didn't know that they had blood on them. Right. So that is actually, I didn't think about that. And I haven't heard anybody mentioned that either so you're right but the police never confirmed anything about her attack the only thing that they ever said was that it was vicious and there was absolutely no defensive wounds well you got her from behind yeah for sure didn't give her a chance to defend herself at all no so the police obviously they start investigating where they always start and that's the people closest to her including jason he was actually the first person of interest, and I don't know if you know this because I didn't until recently, but do you know the difference between a person of interest and a suspect? I do, but go ahead for the audience. Okay, so a person of interest is someone who they may think have more information than they are letting on, Right. but a suspect is a person who the police actually believe committed the crime. Right. So Jason was not a suspect at this time. He was just a person of interest. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so the police, they talked to, they talked to her friends and family, of course, and everybody that they had spoken to, almost everybody they had spoken to, at least, they all said the same thing. They said that Jason and Lindsay, they were happy and deeply in love. But as we all know, it's not always what it seems. And so Lindsay's dad also stated that there may have been some troubles going on behind closed doors. They kind of made a big deal about that in the little short documentary that we watched. Yeah, they did. Um, her dad said that a month or so before her death, Lindsay traveled to Calgary to visit him. And while she was there, she mentioned to him that she was considering breaking things off with Jason, actually. Yeah. Because he was, like, possessive, overbearing, jealous. But in another episode of Murder on the Island, it stated that a few of Lindsay's friends had also heard about this. Lindsay had also confided in them about this. Um, there was this one instance where Lindsay was invited to a Christmas party. And while usually she she would go because she, she loved hanging out with her friends. 
she was like a friend girl always with them but usually she would go but this time she didn't and the friend states that she believes it was because jason didn't want her to but in an episode of dateline jason reports that these accusations have no truth to them he says quote i want people to know that i love Lindsay, and i think about her every day i want this case solved as fast as possible i had nothing to do with it end quote and at this point i believe him I do too. Myself. I believe him. Mm -hmm. And he was investigated as a person of interest. Mm -hmm. And he was clear to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if we discussed it, but he even took a polygraph Mm -hmm. and passed it. Yeah. He was very cooperative with police from the very beginning. He actually, I don't know if you know this, he actually went back to the scene with them a couple days after the murder and did a little walkthrough of like what happened Oh, with okay. him. I missed that. Yeah, like his point of view, what happened. And inves- investigators said that all of the evidence like supports what he told them. And like you said, they asked for a polygraph and he agreed and he passed. And his friend passed one also. Yes, he did. Um, but although the police had to look into Jason, you know, just to rule him out, um, he was never named a suspect. Yeah. And the video evidence while he was at the body shop. Yeah. Cooperated that he wasn't there at the time of the murder. Yes. He was the one who called 911 the first time and he told his friend to immediately after discovering Lindsay's body, the surveillance video footage, um, putting him at the auto shop. And fortunately for him, his friend was there with him to be a witness also. I think that's another good alibi thing to have. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So that's a fortunate thing for him. Unfortunate that the whole thing happened. But fortunate that he did have somebody with him. Yeah. So the police, they cleared Jason, his friend, and also all of her friends and family. So they know that it wasn't anybody like super close to her. So at this point, the police are just lost. Well, the people that they actually want to talk to the most are the clients that she was meeting with. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, but unfortunately, she... And this is a little weird to me because she didn't write their names down anywhere or say them to anybody. Like, the names of these people were nowhere. Oh, wow. That's strange. Yeah, that's really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, you think she'd have it, like, in an appointment book or... Something. Something. Like, anything. <laughs> yeah. But Jason's mother, Shirley, she noted that she, Lindsay, at this dinner the night before, Lindsay had referred to the people as the Mexicans because of those unique accents that she mentioned yeah yeah so whenever she talked about them this is what she called them but uh there are a couple theories about you know what the motive might have been and one of those was robbery but the home was vacant at the time of the showing there was absolutely nothing that they could have taken and Lindsay still had her wallet her watch and her phone on her and there was also no signs of sexual assault so no motive at this point yes is what it's looking like. Like, was why? Why did this happen? Overkill with no motive. Right? That's what it's looking like. That's insane. But at this point, and honestly saying, police start to think that it may have been a murder for hire and that these clients, they weren't a mur- clients. A murder for hire. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. But hold on. Hold on. They weren't potential buyers. They were professional contract killers is what the police are thinking at this point. But there's, there's actually some getting, evidence to support this. Getting deep. Yes. Um, so they began to trace the phone that was actually used to contact her initially, and they found that it was a burner phone, red flag number one. 
a burner phone that was registered to a fake name and a fake address in Vancouver. Okay. Red flag number three and two, or two and three. Yeah. Then they find that the phone was purchased at a convenience store in Vancouver of November of 2007, and it was not used until January 2008 whenever the clients initially contacted Lindsay. Nearly three months later. Yes. Yeah, so this burner phone, what it's looking like right now is it wasn't bought or it, it, it wasn't used until they contacted her. So it was bought to contact her. Specifically to contact yeah. her and her only. And it wasn't used after she was murdered either. But I do want to tell you, whenever they traced it, they saw it travel from Vancouver to Victoria, where the home was at. Yeah. And then the night before the murder, it looked like it traveled to to the home, like the neighborhood of the home. And what some people think that this is, is it's them scoping out like an escape route. Right. And planning like how they're going to do this. So they knew where the, they went to the neighborhood of the house the night before. Supposedly, yes. Okay. And, you know, maybe they were just like trying to see where it was maybe. So they knew where they were going. I mean, you never know. It, but to me, that was just weird. That is weird. Yeah. But there was a witness uh, that actually contacted the police. It's the only witness besides Jason. Um, They said that they saw Lindsay and the clients that night. They state that they had seen a man and a woman walking down the street. And then they saw them introduce themselves to Lindsay. But they didn't they didn't get a good look at the man. All they could say was that he was tall, maybe about six foot and he was Caucasian. Okay. But they got a better description of the woman. They said she had blonde hair. It was short, but it went a little bit past her shoulders. And she looked to be about 35 to 40 years old, maybe. But the dress that she was wearing was interesting, to say the least. It was, you saw a picture of it. It was... um, The black dress with the white and pink. Yes, it was black, white, and bright pink with like a weird like swivel design, kind of. Yeah, in the front of it. Yes. Um, They noted that the way that the couple was like acting it wasn't all for suspicious like nothing seemed you know weird to them but they were able to give a good enough description for a composite sketch but nothing ever came of it because it it wasn't detailed like in the episode of crime junkie they mentioned that it looked like an eighth grader probably right it was just a face with hair yeah and so personally i haven't seen it but we'll put a picture of it on our facebook as well as the dress, because the dress, like if I saw that dress, I would definitely remember that dress. Yeah. Yeah. We got to see if we can find a picture of that mugshot or not mugshot, but. The composite sketch? Yeah, the sketch. Yeah. Sure. See if we can find a copy of that. So this is whenever the witness saw them arrive at the house, but nobody had actually seen them leave. So the police were actually thinking at this point, the couple had left out the back patio door because if you remember, it was just open just a tad. This is how the friend had gone in there to open the front door. Okay. So they think that they went out the same door that they ended up finding a way into the house. Yeah. Okay. Um, The police, they did bring in a canine unit to try and see if they could trace the scent. This is another conflicting thing. I'm not sure about this, but I think what they're trying to say is there was like a... A road kind of at the back of the house. Behind it. Behind the house. Right. And this is where the scent stopped. So then this leads me to think and a couple other people that there was maybe a third person and a getaway a getaway driver maybe. Or they walked back around to where their car was at. They could have, yeah. Because this was what time at this point? Six something? Yeah. 
Uh, 6.05 is whenever Jason started, like, knocking on the door and stuff. So it was maybe about yeah. 10 minutes after that. In February? Before that. In February, yes. It was it was dark. In Canada in February? Yeah. That's what it's about to say. It's dark by 5.30, dark. probably. Yeah, it was probably dark. Yeah. So they probably could have went out the back and tracked around back to the front while Jason and his friend were inside the house. Yeah, but the, remember the dogs, like, the scent just stopped? Yeah. Just suddenly? Well, there's probably a lot of snow on the ground. Maybe. But uh, the police, they looked into Lindsay's phone records, and they began to believe that the attack happened at 5.41 p.m., which is very specific. But there's a reason for this. So they came to this conclusion because, you remember, Jason had a ride at the house at 5.45. Right. And at this point, he saw the couple enter the home. But the police think that this was them trying to leave after they had uh, already killed her. So they're thinking, you know, the killer... And they're leaving, and then they see Jason pull into the driveway, and they're like, oh, crap. Yeah. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. Can't, can't oh, crap. Go out this oh, crap. Way. Yeah. So they, they turn around, figure out something else, um, try to buy themselves a little bit more time. It worked, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. But um, but also going back to that 541 time, when looking at her phone records, they saw that Lindsay had actually made a phone call to a contact that she hadn't had contact with in a while. And whenever they interviewed this person... They had said that they just heard a bunch of muffled noises, so they kind of probably assumed this was a butt dial situation, and the police had actually found her phone in her pocket. So Could have been a situation where the killers accidentally hit the buttons while they were in the process of killing her. Yeah, because, you know, it's kind of funny, because whenever I was thinking about this, I was like, butt dials are just not very common anymore because we have smartphones, but this is 2008, Abby. She had a Blackberry. There is no such thing as a smartphone, is there, in 2008? Uh, well, well, yeah. Blackberry was as smart as they were going to get back then. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like a butt doll was more. Yeah, because they had act- probable. They had actual buttons. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, there was absolutely no physical evidence left at the scene. There wasn't a murder weapon. There wasn't fingerprints. There wasn't hair. Nothing. See, and this is where I find this really unusual, because if they were overkill, like they were talking about. How did they not have blood on them? How did they not track it downstairs mm-hmm. or to the front door when they tried to leave, to the back door where they left? Yeah. Like, that's... It's it's strange. Somebody knew what they were doing, in yeah. my opinion. No, the, the, this definitely leads me to believe the hit theories even more because, like, no random, regular, everyday person is going to know how to commit a murder and get away with it. Not that brutally. No. Like, you're going to... You're going to leave fingerprints. You're going to leave hair. You're going to have blood on you, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> like something. Like there's no way you're going to leave that house undetected. There's no way. No. So. This must have been a really secluded area. I, it wasn't, actually. I don't think it was. Oh, really? No, I really don't think it was because uh, there were some people that mentioned like it was just odd that nobody heard anything. Huh. Yeah. Especially with that witness, like, outside. I'm not sure if she stayed outside for very long, but she was just across the street. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, so the police, this is whenever they start to believe the hit theories a little bit more. And so they start to ask why. Like, who would want Lindsay dead? Right. And, and why? Understandably. Um. So, going back to Jason... Although he was cleared very early on, some people started to speculate and wonder if maybe he hired somebody to kill Lindsay. You know, going back to what her dad had actually said, 
saying she was unhappy. Um, so I have here noted that I'm not sure if Jason knew about this. This was before I listened to the podcast, uh, Murder on the Island. Yeah. Because in this podcast, I actually hear Jason say she did not talk to me about this. I had no idea. Don't know if it's true. So he says that if she was considering breaking up with him, he had no idea. Right. Which isn't out of normal, I wouldn't think. Because a lot of times when people are having doubts or concerns, it's a while before they bring them up. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they have arguments and it comes up or, you know, something happens and someone snaps and says something. But, you know, unless somebody is an emotional situation like that. A lot of times those don't come up until someone decides to bring it up. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with you on that. Um, But some people also noted that they found his behavior after her murder a little strange. Um, They said that he didn't cry and like he just didn't seem like somebody who was going through a traumatic situation. But to me, I try not to read into this because I know I've never been through something like this. So and I want to say that I would lose my mind, but we just don't know. You just don't know how you're going to act in that situation until that situation happens to you. And everybody grieves differently. Um, and being a big guy like that, and you have this presence about you where this bravado of I'm this big tough guy. Yeah, like I can't show my emotions. Can't show my emotions. You know, if he broke down, it was probably in private. So yeah, and obviously we're not gonna know and, all that. Yeah. And so people putting that much into that, to me, I, I think is unwarranted. Because I, I don't believe he had anything to do with this. I don't either. At all. I don't either. Um, but there's a few people, including Lindsay's father, Jeff, who they they very highly suspect Jason's mom. Shirley, do you remember her? Yes. And I'm not, I'm not sure why, but they suspect that Shirley had hired somebody to kill Lindsay I don't know why but I don't I don't really see going in into this too much is really necessary right now because she was cleared by police there's absolutely no evidence saying that she did this are there some weird things that her dad says yeah that I may have agree with but I don't think she did and I don't think well, anything to do with it her dad's gonna be distraught yeah and he could be grasping at straws. Mm-hmm. So, and I believe that Jason's mom filed a lawsuit against him, correct? Yes, yeah, she actually did. So, in this mini documentary that you mentioned, um, her dad said, you know, I keep hearing about lawsuits that are going to get filed against me, but one hasn't happened yet. But right. she did. She, she filed a lawsuit against him for uh, defamation. So, I bet that was probably dropped. I'm not sure. I haven't looked into that. I guess I should have. No, it's okay. I bet it was probably true. It may have. Most cases, those are. Yeah, so that happened. And you actually asked me a question off the mic about Lizzie's mom. I haven't heard anything about her mom. We Googled her mom, and I think her name was Evelyn. But her mom isn't mentioned anywhere, so I'm not sure if she's passed away, if she's not in the picture. Yeah, because she wasn't mentioned in the podcast. She wasn't mentioned in any of the podcasts I listened to, the documentary. Well, yeah. So I'm really not sure about that. But yeah. I figured if you had a question about that, these people yeah. might have a question about that. So. Yeah, other people might too. Yeah. But if you want, 
all the details or more details about, you know, the Jeff and the Shirley situation, I would definitely listen to the murder on the island, the Lindsay Buziak murder podcast, because we hear from everybody, really, Jason, her friends, uh, Shirley, Jeff, they all give kind of like their version of events in their own words. I think I want to go back and listen to them. You definitely should. And there's also a... This case is really intriguing to me. Yes, there's also a website, lindsaybuziakmurder.com, I think is what it's called, that her father made, which is where a lot of these accusations against Shirley began. Okay. And, yeah, because he named specific people oh, yeah. online. Yes. And yeah, there were more people named other than Shirley, but I'm not sure who those people were. Yeah. But they were all cleared. And we'll link, to we'll link those in the show notes. Yes. Yes, we will. So, the biggest theory on this case is, was it drug-related? Right. And so, during her trip to see her dad, if you remember, she'd actually reached out a few times to an old friend from high school, but it's noted that they weren't close. So, I'm, I kind of got the idea that maybe they were just acquaintances in high school. So, it was really strange to police why she reached out to this guy, because she actually reached out by phone number and on Facebook message. Now, uh, do we know this guy's name? No. I don't believe so. We don't know his name. We don't know why she reached out. But I actually had a thought earlier today. Um, it says that she reached out through Facebook message. But you would think the police, and they may know, they may be, they're just not telling us this, but Facebook message, you think they would know what was said in that Facebook message maybe? They do. That's probably another fact that they don't, they haven't released. Yeah. And they do that. Yeah. You know, because if the killer ever comes forward, they want to, that's something that maybe they would only know. Yeah. If if this guy's involved, definitely. Yeah. So this guy that she actually contacted, he had a very, very, very high connection to a huge cocaine cartel. So that's, yeah, that's a little weird. So. That's putting a whole new spin on the entire situation. Mm-hmm. So how does that relate to her death, though? Well, see, it's a little it's a little weird. So it's noted that Lindsay, she wasn't a known drug user. I, I've never been around people that are on like, you know, hard drugs or anything. So I don't know if it's possible to hide that cocaine. I mean, that's pretty serious. Yeah, I think that would be hard to hide. I just really, yeah. So it, it could definitely be unrelated. But so at the same time she was visiting her dad, police were actually investigating a huge drug operation that had ties to Victoria where Lindsay lived. Okay. So there was this huge bust. Somebody had lost a lot of money. A lot of money. Lots of money. And they were PO'd about it. And they mentioned in that documentary that there was like a witch hug going on. They were pulling people out of their beds. You know, like, who have you talked to? Have you talked to anybody? Because the police mentioned that there was an informant. Somebody had snitched them out to the police. That's confirmed. And this person was trying to figure out who it was. Right. So there's theories that Lindsay contacted this guy, something to do with drugs. Maybe this person thought that she had snitched them out and wanted to kill her to leave a message. Or she was misidentified, you know, mistaken for the wrong person. Right. Or they just killed a random innocent girl to still get the message across like, hey, if you don't come forward, like... You're next. I'm going to get you. (laughs) Yeah. So at first I was like, this doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because I feel like if it's drug-related and they want us to know that, for sure, for sure, for sure, we would know that. But uh, you said earlier, like, we are talking about it. 
Yeah. So obviously it's on our radar a little bit. Uh, yeah. The the message has gotten out there. I mean, we're nowhere near Canada at all. No. And we're talking about it. Yeah. So the message has gotten out there. Definitely. Um. So I did hear somewhere, I think it was the Crime Junkie episode, that, that they had confirmed, that police confirmed, it had something to do with the drug thing, but... They won't say what. and But she was not involved. Yes. But she was not involved. 100%. 100%, yes. They also think that somebody within the Victoria real estate business knows something. Because they're thinking, who gave out Lindsay's number? It was her personal number again. Now, That's weird. She contacted this guy. Did she contact him with her personal number? It's more likely than using her work number. Yeah. So if... These people went to him, and they're like, who have you talked to? And they he, out her name. he, by happenstance, says her name, not knowing if she had talked or not himself. And then they're like, okay, well, what's her number? Well, if she called him, he's going to have it. You know what? And this is actually the first time ever hearing somebody say that. Like, you're the first person who has brought this up because I've never, I didn't think about that. But that's actually a really good point. Yeah. And I'm wondering if they have thought about that. Oh, I'm sure they have. Oh, I'm sure they have too, but wow. But there may be some, there may be something else that they're aware of. That's why they think there's somebody else involved with the real estate and where is it at? Uh, Victoria, where she lives. Victoria. Yes, Victoria. So British Columbia. You know, maybe she had talked to somebody else about this guy. Maybe. Or by chance had said something mm-hmm. to somebody else. And maybe the police are aware of that. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. But this one, like I said, the first time I heard it was about maybe a year, year and a half ago. And it's... And I hate to say this, but there's some of those cases that just I can't stop thinking about and they just stick with me more than others. Right. And for this one, I think it's probably just because like all the different, like the conflicting. So much conflicting. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's not unusual for there to be some things like that, but there's just so much. Yeah. Where you're like, okay, so which one is it? Yeah. What really happened? Mm-hmm. You know, what did you really say? What did you really do? Like even the boyfriend. I mean, he'd said one thing to one person and say something yeah. to somebody else. Yeah. And so I don't. It's just. It's, and maybe that's part of his way of dealing with it. Is he broke down and he'd just start talking and then he didn't remember what he said. And you never know. I mean, so I don't have the best memory ever. Like. I can't even remember what I ate for breakfast. Oh, no, you're like a fish in a fishbowl. I can't remember what I ate for <laughs> breakfast. What did I eat for lunch? Have I eaten dinner yet? I don't know. So, you're like a fish in a fishbowl. You swim back and forth. Oh, there's a glass. Yep. Oh, yep. There's glass. That's that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you wanted to add or talk about? I, you know, just like the last episode, you've done a tremendous job on your research. Well, thank you. I'm really impressed by how much time you've put into these. I mean, it shows that you really care, and I think that's tremendous. Yeah. So I know that I appreciate that, and I'm sure, 
you know, if other people were aware of that, they would be also. Yeah. Well, I mean, you never know. And like, like the police said, like they, they said, like, this isn't going to be solved with evidence, with physical evidence. Somebody's going to have to come forward. And so, you know, we're, this is maybe like what our second or third episode. We don't have a lot of people listening right now, but maybe one day we will. Yeah. And maybe one day somebody will hear this. You never know. I mean, because like Crime Junkie has solved a couple cases. Yeah. And so that's what I'm trying to do here. Yeah. We'll bring some light onto some cases that haven't been solved. And we'll cover some stuff that, you know, has already been solved. But we like to cover stuff that hasn't been. Yeah. Just to show more light on it. Yeah. And, you know, that's to me, that's important. Yeah, I agree. So this has been another one of those kick you in the pants and in the feels kind of episodes because mm-hmm. it's definitely emotional. It's, yeah, it's, it's. Uh, seeing the dad in the documentary, he didn't get as emotional as I think I would have, yeah. but he's had. But this was also like. years years. Yeah. To deal with it. A decade or so after. Yeah. It's whenever that was recorded. Yeah. So this is this video was put out in like 2020. Yeah. So that was 12 years after. Yeah. No, it's definitely a sad situation. And I hate to like, you know, bash him for the whole Shirley thing. Putting names out there. But it's probably not the smartest idea. No, but I do understand but why. He probably like me at this point, he probably doesn't care about himself. No, he he said, he said, I've asked multiple parents, if somebody kills your baby, what are you going to do? And he's like, everybody said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Yeah, I'm going to kill him or I'm going to blank kill him. Yep. And I I fully and wholeheartedly agree with those statements. See, I don't have kids and same. So. So. Yeah. So it's definitely a heartbreaking one. If you have any information about the murder of Lindsay Buziak, there is a $500,000 reward for information leading to her killer. You can make an anonymous tip to Victoria British Columbia Crime Stoppers by calling 1-800-222-8477. This episode of Unmasking Evil was researched and written by me, Abby. If you want to see pictures from this case, you can visit our Facebook page, which we will link in our show notes. Be sure to follow and share with your friends, and we will see you guys in two weeks with another episode. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe, rate, and review. You can visit us at unmaskingevil.com or email us, unmaskingevilpodcast at gmail.com.